So welcome back everyone to another week of the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, if you haven't met me or if you're joining us online, my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor at our congregation. This is a, a brand new sermon series, a new concept for our congregation. It's something I'm really excited to talk about with you. Uh, we've been examining now for a week and we're going to continue examine for, examining for the next three weeks um, our anxious, weary, burdened, overwhelmed, tired, busy lives and how that is antithetical to God. Last week, we introduced this series by saying, look how God is slow and how our lives are fast. And as those of us who would call ourselves Christians who claim to walk with Jesus, very often our life is a full sprint while Jesus is slowly sauntering along. We claim to walk with Jesus, but the fact is very often we don't. And so we are hurried and we're anxious and we're depressed and we're overwhelmed and busy and tired and weary and burdened and the list goes on. Last week, we introduced the main power source of this concept of ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our life, and that's the unhurried life of Jesus. That Jesus is uh, is the most unhurried man who ever lived because he was in tune with God's heart, and he did not fear death, which you also have, because you know that Jesus, because he was risen from the dead, also promises your resurrection from the dead. Your life is not the 70 or 80 years you get to spend here. It is the eternity with God that you've been promised by him. This week, we're going to keep it still a little bit theoretical as we set up the whole of this series, but we're going to see now, how does that power source start to plug into my life? The next three weeks, we're going to get super practical on the ground. What are some practices that we can put in place to ruthlessly eliminate hurry? But today, we're still a little bit in the theoretical. And like I said, we're going to see how this power source can come into the way that we live our lives. So the text we're looking at comes from Matthew 11. Uh, This is Jesus speaking, and I'll read it for us. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played a pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man, that's Jesus talking about himself, came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. Wouldn't it be nice if we had more time? I don't know if there's a person in this room who hasn't wished at least one time in their life that there were a few more hours in the day. I don't know if this story is totally true. Maybe it's just something that college kids say to each other. But when I was in college, I had a couple friends who told me a story about a guy they went to high school with. Uh, This guy had some skills in hypnotism. And so what he would do is he would record his own voice going through a hypnotist routine. And then he would play back the recording, listen to it himself, and in a sense, hypnotize himself into deep sleep. And because he could do that, he could sleep for just four hours a night and have just as much rest as us mere mortals who have to sleep eight hours a night. 
I don't know if you know, but when we sleep, we don't get into deep sleep, deep sleep right away. We go through a number of progressions and sleep cycles until we get to that deep restorative sleep. He could skip all that and go through four hours of deep sleep. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but doggone it, when I heard it, I was jealous. <laughs> like, how great would it be if you only had to sleep four hours a night, have at least three or four more hours in your day? To be fair, I, I actually did try to do that in college, not because I have hypnotist skills, but because I'm a moron. And, and maybe you also have tried to sleep not enough and found out that it doesn't really work for you. You need to sleep. You can't just manufacture more hours in the day. But we kind of wish we could, right? There's so much more we could do if we had more hours. I think some of us take that concept of wishing there were more hours in the day, and I think we sort of fantasize about it, right? What if there were 26, 27, 28 hours in the day? What would I do with that time? I think others of us, though, we actually start to get super practical and say, okay, I don't have enough time. I got to start cutting stuff out of my life. And we try to manufacture more time in our life. But can I tell you something? That won't work. It won't work because Jesus says it won't work. And maybe you've never read the text that we just read in this context, but Jesus is really getting at this idea that if we want to have a restful, unhurried life, it's not about more hours, whether we fantasize about them or try to practically input them into our lives. It's about how we view those hours, how we deal with those hours. That's the real problem. Let me show you. Let's go back and read just the last couple of verses of the text. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They're beautiful words, right? Maybe you saw them lovely cross-stitched in your grandma's washroom or something like this. But if you were a first century hearer of Jesus' words here, you might have had a bone to pick with him. Because for us non-agrarian modern people, a yoke is something that comes out of an unethically sourced egg that we bought from the grocery store. But for them, a yoke was a very common tool of farming. If you know this, a yoke was a piece of wood that you would stretch across the necks of two oxen with U-shaped rings in order to pull a plow through a field. For them, a yoke was a symbol of hard work. So hard that you needed two, not one, two, beasts of burden stronger than human beings in order to accomplish that work. So can you imagine how this rung in the ears of the first century hearers of Jesus? Maybe to put it into our context, when you're weary and burdened, what do you feel like you need? A couch? A bed? A hot tub? a Muskoka chair facing the lake. But Jesus says you get a yoke, which maybe again in our modern terms, Jesus would say to us, if you're weary and burdened, come work long hours with me. And we think to ourselves, what? That's the problem. I'm working long hours, Jesus. I don't need more long hours. But Jesus says, you don't get it. It's not about the long hours. It's about your yoke. Every one of us has a yoke. We have things that we carry through this life, the burdens and responsibilities and opportunities and goals and dreams that we have for our lives. We all shoulder these things. What Jesus is saying is, it's not about how you do this. It's about what is the yoke? What is the way you deal with the things of your life? 
And what Jesus is trying to tell us is it's not about the amount of hours. It's about how you view those hours. This answers the question that I very often get when I'm uh, trying to teach this idea of ruthlessly eliminating hurry to people. They'll say, some people will say something like, well, that's a great idea, pastor, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, but I have to work two jobs in order to pay the bills. Like, I'm not trying to get a Bentley here. I'm just trying to make sure I don't go under. Because I don't know if you noticed, but Toronto is a super expensive city to live in and inflation is like 45% or something. So I need to work like this. Or maybe they might come to me and say, yeah, that's great, Pastor. I would love to ruthlessly eliminate hurry and, and find some just restful, peaceful time in my life, but I'm a mom of kids. And I don't know if you notice, but kids don't rest. Jesus' words are, are exactly for you. He's saying it's, it's not about how many hours you work or how hard you work in those hours. In fact, he says, being with him, the thing that is restful, the thing that is light and easy is a yoke. It's a burden. It's a, it's a work implement. But... It's different from all the other ways that we conceive of our lives and the responsibilities that we hold in those lives. Maybe to illustrate this for you, I think we should just press on Jesus' idea of a yoke just a little bit. If you think about a yoke, you can start to realize how that is a good picture for how we carry the burdens of our life incorrectly. If you're taking notes with us, the next three points that I have for you are the three problems that we have with generally the way we approach our lives and, how our, and our responsibilities in those lives. The first problem with the yokes that many of us have is that they don't fit. They don't fit. If you have a yoke and the U-ring is the wrong size, either the animal is going to be choked or the animal is going to easily escape or hurt its neck as it pulls the plow. In the same way, many of us have lives that don't fit. It's like if you got a 40-inch waist, you might want to fit into those 34-inch pants, but you just can't, right? You maybe potentially can down the road, but right now you don't fit into them. Or ladies, if you're wearing a, um, I don't actually know how women's clothes work. I think from the pulpit, I can say God's truth, women's clothing sizes don't make sense. But you can apply for yourselves. Like if you have something that doesn't fit, it, it won't work for you. And, and very often our lives don't fit us. Why? Because we're not willing to engage with our limitations. But your limitation is this is the size of your waist. You have to wear pants that fit. Oftentimes we don't look at our lives and see what our limitations are because frankly, our, our society doesn't want us to. They would rather talk about all our potentialities and there's something to that, of course. We're made in the image of God, and in a sense, we have God imbued into us. We have the ability that he has to take chaos and make order out of it, and that's, that's lovely, but what very often we do is ignore the limitations side of this or the, the fact that we're also made out of dirt. We're the original biodegradable item. God made us out of dirt, and to dirt we will go again. We don't face our limitations. Or to say it differently, we're, we're probably more likely to go to the bookstore and buy a book called unlocking your unlimited potential rather than a book called coming to grips with your morality and your cosmic insignificance. We're not willing to engage our limitations when we think about what fits in our lives. So let me give you just a number of things that might be limitations for you. that You maybe never thought of before. First of all, your body, your body is a limitation. Right, first of all, you're just able to only be in one place at one time, but there might be any number of other limitations on that body. Maybe you have a certain injury, right, that keeps you from being able to do certain things. Or maybe your body just needs a certain amount of sleep or a certain amount of food or a certain amount of exercise. Whatever it is, your body is a limitation. 
How about your mind? Your mind is only capable of what it's capable of. You can only remember so many things, process so many things. You might have mental illnesses. Number three, your abilities. You might have certain gifts, but not others. Capable of certain things, but really struggle with others. Four, your personality or your emotional wiring. Are you introverted or extroverted? Do you need a good cry every now and again? Do you thrive on order or thrive on chaos? Do you work better with systems or with people? Your family is another limitation. First of all, your family of origin, like none of us is a clean slate. How our parents treated us, how our parents treated each other, how our siblings treated us, all can influence us even today. And your family right now. Right? Is, your, is your husband depressed? Is your wife bipolar? Is, are your children struggling in school? All limitations. How about your socioeconomic status? Were you born into money or no money? Were you born with money skills or no money skills? Even now, do you have a job that pays a lot or a little? Do you have to work extra hours in order to make enough money or can you work fewer hours? How is your vacation schedule? How were you taught to invest your money? And so on from there. All limitations. How about your education or your career? Were you able to get into a school? Did you go to school? Which school did you go to? Does your job take more of your physical energy or your mental energy? Are you allowed to get off whenever you want or do you have to work overtime? All limitations. How about your season of life? Are you raising kids, taking care of dying parents? Are you going to school? Limitations. Or your lifetime? The fact that you're only going to live a certain amount of time and your body's only going to be the way that it is for a certain amount of time? Or finally, and maybe this one's a little bit harder to get, but it's important, the God's call on your life. I think of um, this place where Jesus is talking with Peter and John, and he's talking to Peter about how Peter is going to be persecuted and eventually die because of his ministry. And, and John asks Jesus, hey, what about, what's, what about me? Why does Peter get to do that and I don't get to do that? And Jesus basically says, none of your business, man. Let Peter do his thing, you do your thing. But how quickly we don't like that, right? We, we see our call in life, and maybe we think that's too small for me, or I'd like to do something else, right? I don't want to be a mom right now. I want to work or vice versa. I don't want to be in the workplace. I wish I was out or I wish I was doing more work or less work or whatever it is. God's call in your life. And there might be in any number of other limitations that you could think of, but the point is we rarely engage these things. We like to think about how we can overcome our limitations, right? Your body is a limitation. I'll sleep when I'm dead, we might say, Right? Or exercise, that can go. I need to get work done. Or maybe our family, right? Um, it'll be okay. My, my, parent, my kids don't need as much attention. They get socialized at school or mom is around or, or whatever. And you could go down the list. We're constantly trying to push ourselves beyond our limitations. We won't engage those things. We're wearing a yoke that doesn't fit. But that's not all of us. Some of us actually have a yoke that fits just fine. It's just hitched to the wrong things. Like we're maybe not the person who's running around from thing to thing, five minutes late for everything, going 135 down the 401 to get to wherever we need to go. We might actually have a life that is relatively balanced as far as our ability not to hurry, and yet we're still overwhelmed, weary, burdened, anxious, etc. It's not because we have too many things in our schedule or we're not engaging our limitations. We're just hitching our yoke to things that don't give life. Again, to push the metaphor, if you hitch up a yoke to a plow, it does really good work. If you hitch up a yoke to nothing, it's just frustrating. It doesn't get anything done. Last week, we opened the can of worms, which is technology. And, and uh, we said technology isn't a bad thing, but so often it leads us away from good things, right? 
how many of us hitch our schedules, maybe not even busy schedules, to things like technology that don't give us life. Here's a couple examples. Um, Phil Zimbardo, he's a researcher. He works primarily with trying to help boys become men. He he sees a crisis of manliness in our culture. Um, His research says that the average young man by age 21 has played 10,000 hours of video games. The average. Now, there's other research that says that if you put 10,000 hours of practice into literally anything, you can become a master at that thing. So think about that. The average young man in our culture by age 21 could be an elite athlete, an elite artist, an elite writer. He could memorize the entire New Testament. He could get his master's degree, or he could beat level four on Call of Duty. (laughs) But the girls aren't exempt from this. Research says that the, the average person is spending over 700 hours of their year on social media. The thing is, women spend 25% more time on social media than men, and that's even increased for younger women. So it's getting close to about 1,000 hours a year that the average young woman is spending on social media, which means in 10 years, she could become a master at whatever she wanted to become a master of, or she could scroll a little bit and see a whole bunch of people who have become masters of whatever they've become masters of. And by the way, this isn't true of young people, this is true of older folks as well, because while social media and video games tend to not be things that are so tempting for older folks, TV tends to be one that is. The average person in North America watches over 2,500 hours of TV every year. That means in four years, if you would just unplug your TV, you could become a master at anything, or you could make sure you caught up on Grey's Anatomy or watched Friends for the third time, whatever it is. These things don't give life. In fact, the the psychological research tells us that. It says that by watching a show or by playing a video game or by scrolling through social media, you're going through all the same emotional stressors that you would go through if those events were real, but you don't actually experience them. So you watch a movie where a bomb goes off, the same part of your brain that reacts if a real bomb was going off is reacting, but you're not actually going through it. And at the end of the movie, what has changed in your life? At the end of the level, what has changed in your life? As you finish scrolling, what has changed in your life? Nothing. You've wasted the spirit that God's given you. And so we might not be rushing around to thing after thing after thing, but we're wasting our yoke on things that aren't giving life. John Mark Homer says it this way in his book. He says, in 20 minutes of Candy Crush on our morning bus ride, we could pray for every single one of our friends and family members In an hour of TV before bed, we could read through the entire Bible in six months. In a day of running errands and shopping for crap we really don't need, we could practice Sabbath, an entire seventh of our life devoted to rest, worship, and celebration of our journey through God's good world. Or as God says it, make the most of your time because the days are evil. But I think there's one last way that we can have a a problem with the yoke that we carry. And this one's particular to Christians. Uh, Christians often wear a yoke that's not secure. So again, to press the yoke metaphor a little bit farther, if you put the U-ring on the animal, but you don't secure it at the top, the U-ring is going to fall off, and it doesn't matter how many times you put on, the animal's eventually going to get away. And very often, Christians do this. We like the idea of being yoked to Jesus, We might even call ourselves ones who are yoked to Jesus, but our lives look like we kind of just want to go off and do whatever we want and occasionally come back and yoke ourselves to Jesus for about an hour on Sunday morning. 
we wear a yoke that is not secure. And if you can imagine a yoke that's not secure on a pair of oxen and the chaos that would ensue, the same is happening in our lives. Jesus says that that the yoke that you have with him needs to be secure. You need to be with him, to walk with him, to go the direction he's going, to not go off to whatever you want to do for a time or a season, but to stay with him if you want to experience the rest that he has. The way he says it in the text is like this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What's learning? For those of you who maybe haven't done it in a little while. Learning is when you watch or listen to somebody do or say something that you are supposed to repeat, whether in word or in action. And that requires repetition, hearing it again and again or watching it again and again until you can repeat the task yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. Learn from me. Listen to what I say. See what I do. And the more you do that, the more you'll start saying it, the more you'll start doing it, and you will find rest for your souls. To maybe give us a picture of this, maybe a little bit differently, have you ever seen a, a runner? Not a person who runs, but a runner. <laughs> You've seen these people, they look beautiful in spandex because they have that lean but honed look. They never break a sweat at the end of the run. They're high-fiving and smiling while the rest of us are throwing up. And their warm-ups are like a little bit faster than I would run if a bear were chasing me on an ATV with a gun. You've seen these people? Um, Why are they the way that they are and I'm not? Lifestyle, right? Lifestyle. Isn't it isn't about just running or not running. It's about everything else that goes on besides the running. While I'm staying up late to watch the end of the Leafs game with a beer in hand, they've gone to bed at 8.30 after drinking a liter of water and eating celery. While I'm dragging myself out of bed to push the start button on the coffee machine, they've already run 10K. And when I'm turning the air conditioner down, because frankly, who can be outside in July? They are sweating their butts off out there. Their lifestyle is different. And so they live the life that both they and I wish we could have. But how quickly we ignore that same call from Jesus. Jesus says, I have a life for you, an abundant life, a life free from all the anxiety and worry and, and weariness and burdenness that you feel. But you hope that by just going out and jogging a couple miles once a week, you're going to get in shape. This is a lifestyle. To maybe use a different mode of looking at this, there's a business axiom that goes like this. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. You understand this statement? Very often we think that if we put a certain system in place and it's not getting the results that we want, we're not as efficient or productive or happy or healthy as we wish we were, we think the problem is we need to try harder at the system. But the problem is actually the system is perfectly calibrated to get the results that it's getting. Look at your life. You're trying to be happy, healthy, productive, efficient, but you're anxious, weary, burdened, worried, hurried. It's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's because the system is broken. You're wearing a yoke that doesn't fit or a yoke that's hitched to things that don't give life or a yoke that you just want to abandon at any given time. Learn from Jesus. Be yoked to him. Walk with him. Listen to him. See him. And you will find rest for your souls. And it's not going to be easy. I mean, Jesus says as much. 
He says for two reasons. One of them we read earlier in the text. That whole section that I read early about him talking about the children who are saying, we sang a dirge for you and you didn't mourn or whatever. Um, I'm not going to explain that whole section of the text because we're going to go through that actually early in 2023. But just for now, trust me, this is what Jesus is saying in that text. People want me to fit into their life, not them to fit into my life. They want me to align with what they already think, what they're already doing, what they already believe, what they already value, what they already spend their time and money and energy on. They want me to fit into that and I will have none of it. If you want to know God, Jesus says, if you want to be in his presence, he says in verse 27, then you have to walk with me. You have to make this a lifestyle. Now, to be clear, this is not about salvation. I think we need to say that. You're not saved because you live the lifestyle of Jesus. You're not saved because you're cutting things out of your life particularly well or because you're not particularly hurried. That's not the point. You're saved because Jesus saved you. Full stop. He baptized you. He feeds you his body and blood. He gives you his word. He forgives all your sins and your inability to see him as restful. He forgives all of it. But what he's inviting you to do is to now tap into the resources of that reality. To take that truth and plant it deep in your heart. And it's going to take death, right? The second thing that Jesus says about following him and why it's not easy is that if anyone wants to come with him and follow him, they need to take up their cross daily and follow him. It's going to feel like death. And it might for you. Can you imagine? What if you just turned your phone off for a whole day? Would that feel like a little death? Or if you deleted all the social media apps on your phone, would that feel like a little death? Or if you unplugged your TV for a week, would that feel like a little death? Or if you were the first person to go home from work every day this week, would that feel like a little death? Or if you drove under the speed limit this entire week, would that feel like a little death? And we could go down the list, but it might hurt. It might hurt. It might hurt because it might actually cause you to admit that for maybe decades of your life, you've been living contrary to the way Jesus wanted you to live. But what comes after death? Resurrection. Life. Abundant life. The life that you should have. The life that Christ offers you. Be willing to die to these things and find that life. So do you want to know what the key is? Because up to this point, I've told you that your yokes don't work and that Jesus' yoke is awesome and going to give you rest, but I still haven't told you what the yoke is. Do you want to know what it is? You don't have to. That's it. You don't have to. When you're yoked to Jesus, notice what he says. He doesn't say, come take on a yoke with me. He doesn't say, take up our yoke. He says, take my yoke. Which means that Jesus is the other beast of burden, so to speak, who is locked into this yoke with you. And I don't know if you've heard about Jesus, but he does everything. He has paid for every sin that you've ever committed. He's given you his perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience to God's law on your account. He has promised you that because he lives, you also will live and you will not die, just like he told Martha last week. And he says that until that moment when he takes you to be in a place where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain, he is going to orchestrate everything in your life to work out for your good to accomplish that. And so you don't have to. You don't have to. When Jesus calls his disciples, what does he say? Come join me? No. Come do this with me? No. Come believe my doctrine? No. 
come to my church? No, come follow me. Which at least implies Jesus is going somewhere. Jesus is doing things and he just wants you along for the ride. So take his yoke upon you, this yoke that you don't have to. Every one of us has this refrain in our minds all the time, whether from our culture or from our family or from ourselves, you have to. For some of us, it looks like the need to achieve. You have to accomplish these things in your life. Make this much money, get married, take this job, take extra hours, build up your reputation, be a good mother, be a good father, make sure that you're present. Whatever it is, you have to do all these things. You don't have to. You're free. That's a lie. You don't have to. Because even if you failed at every single one of those things, you know what would still be true of you? You would be absolutely loved and absolutely accepted and fully acknowledged by the God of the universe and who says, all of this is passing away and I'm giving you something better. Some of us feel it from responsibility, right? Like that, that mom who says, I would love to find rest, but I can't because of my kids or that person working two jobs who needs to do that to make the bills. We feel like we have to. We feel we're enslaved to these things. Like I can't get away from them. You don't have to. You don't have to. If you didn't work those jobs, would God provide for you? He says, pray for my daily bread and I'll give it to you. If you weren't watching over your children, do you think your God who calls himself a father would not watch over your children and make sure that their life worked out the way he wanted it to? So you're free. You don't have to. You don't have to do any of it. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to give your offerings. You don't have to pray. You don't have to obey. You don't have to do anything because Christ has already done it for you and said, come along with me while I still keep accomplishing it for you. You're free. Whatever bit of you feels like you have to, it's a lie. Now let's work this out because the obvious um, criticism of this view that people bring is, well, if you tell people they don't have to, then they're not going to do anything. They're just going to be lazy, to which I'd say, prove it. <laughs> Show me that you can't do anything. Go sit and stare at a wall. See how long you last. We can't help ourselves. We are beings built to do stuff. But the beauty of knowing that we don't have to is once we are free from the slavery that is imposed on us by our own thoughts, our culture, our family, whatever it is, then we suddenly have the time and the mental space to say, if I don't have to do those things, what could I do? And usually when you start saying that you don't have to, you start to cut out a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter in your life and you suddenly have the time to slow down and see your neighbor. Instead of passing by him and waving high as you get in the car to get on the road to go to work, you may slow down and have a conversation with him. Ask him how he's doing. How was his weekend? What's he struggling with right now? How can you help? Instead of just making sure you hit all these metrics for your children, you might say, maybe it's not about metrics. Maybe it's about just taking the time to, to love these humans that God has given me to raise up in the faith. And you could go down the line, right? You'll still go to work, but not because you have to. Because if you lost your job or couldn't pay the bills, God would provide, but you're still going to go to work. Why? Well, because you can add value to the world and you can make money to bless your family or your community or your church. You're going to date your spouse, not because you have to, but because God gave you a person that you get to uniquely bless in this world. And you're going to come to church, not because you have to, but because God is proclaiming the message that you're free and you don't have to here. And you really want to hear that because everything in your life is screaming the opposite. You don't have to. You're free. And that's Jesus' yoke. It's easy. 
or as what I think is actually probably a better translation of that word, easy, it fits. It fits. Now, again, this is a little bit abstract, and we're going to work out some practical ways to make this part of your life. But for today, just walk home with this. You don't have to. And then start thinking about this. As my life starts to declutter, as I continue to repeat to myself, I don't have to, I just get the opportunity to, you'll find space. What are you going to do with that space? One of the things that our leadership team is going to try to engage us in is finding more ways to serve the way Christ calls us to serve, to serve our neighbors, not just to serve to keep an organization like Cross of Life going, but to actually impact people's lives. And so our leadership team is going to be hopefully engaging you in coming weeks and months to ask you, how can your now decluttered life be used to serve God and to serve the people that he loves? Johanna's going to talk about that a little bit later in the service, but start thinking that way. As soon as I find out that I don't have to, that I can turn this off or get out of this or avoid this responsibility, what will I do? And how does God use me? Come to Jesus and yoke yourself to him. He's doing it all. Come follow him and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Jesus, our lives are busy and everything is telling us that we have to our job, our parents, our spouse, our kids, even the internal dialogue that we have in our, our head that's built on habits. This is what I do every night. This is what I do every morning. Set us free from that. Help us realize that our citizenship is not here. We are those living in the world, but not of the world, that we're not part of this, and yet we are still here to serve it. Give us the freedom that only comes from knowing that you have accomplished all things for us and will accomplish all things for us. And then use us as you see fit to accomplish your purposes in the world. We ask that in your name. Amen.